What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley, and welcome to Truck and Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I've always felt like when I join it, I'm bringing a, a level of diversity and uniqueness that isn't there. Mm. And so I've always felt like I belong because I can bring something that you don't currently have. This industry is so transactional. And from uh, mechanic places to tire places, most truckers are just seen as a dollar sign. And so it's all about the money. For us, it's all about the relationship and the rapport building. I believe if we take care of you and put you in position to make you a more profitable running trucking operation, why would you not do business with us? Turn my mic up. Take there. Yeah, yeah, uh. On the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. Hustle fam, hustle fam, we are back with another amazing episode and you know I got a good one for you like we always do. I'm here in VA, what they say, two up, two, two down? Two up, two down. Two up, two down with my brother, Kamar Johnson from GTT Commercial Tires. What's up, my brother? Man, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Happy to be here. Bro, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to have this conversation for a few reasons. Number one, you are in a, a dope niche that we haven't explored yet, right? Commercial tires. Um, number two, you're a, a extremely <clears throat> smart, brilliant brother. And I think you have a lot of value just to add to the community in terms of just business acumen and so forth and so on. So I think we're going to have a dope conversation, man. But first, I just want to welcome you to the show, man. Welcome to Truck and Hustle, man. Man, I am so grateful to be here. You taking the time out to come down here, set up the amazing, very professional operation for us to do this. And uh, before we get started, man, I want to personally send a huge thanks and a shout out to Brock Phillips, who mm. is responsible in part for this even happening. As you know, that's um, a fact. we've never connected. We've never ran in the same circles. Uh, but that young brother who was on your show, who's doing tremendous in his business, uh, you know, he mentioned my name to you and then you you checked me out and you thought, you know, I was worthy of it. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And then uh, I want to also send a huge shout out before I forget. Uh, to Sarita Lockley. I think you ah, also familiar uh, down in the 757. Yes, sir. So, um, yeah, man. Happy to be here, brother. Okay. Okay, cool. So we're going to get into it. We're going to talk commercial truck tires. You just took me through the warehouse. I got about 7,000 tires. How much tires I got back there, man, roughly? Man, right? We light right now, like, but uh, like probably right now? about... About 2,800. About 2,800 yeah. tires. So when you're not light, what is it looking like? I mean, we got a shipment this week of over 3,000. So we Ooh. usually hover around... 55, 6,000. That's what you kind of keep, about 55. Yeah, that's a good spot for where we've grown now with the level of traction and volume that we're getting. Okay, okay, dope, man. So like I said, this is a, a really dope niche. I'm so excited to explore this world of just tires because it may not be the most sexiest <clears throat> thing about trucking. All right, guys, if you missed out on Freight Fest 2023, I feel for you. I know you're punching air. However, Freight Fest 2024 is going to come sooner than you think. Right now, go to www.freightfest.com. Early bird tickets are available. Listen, we're already planning for next year. 
It's going to be crazy. We are already lining up the speakers. Uh, make sure you stay tapped in with us for all the updates, but get your early bird tickets right now for Freight Fest 2024 happening on September 26th through the 29th at the Royal Sinesta Galleria Hotel in Houston, Texas. All right. Go to www.freightfest.com for more updates. I can't wait to see y'all there. Let's go. But it's one of the most necessary things about a truck, right? The tire, right? Without them tires, them truck ain't going nowhere. You can have all of the loads to haul all that you want. But if you ain't got the tires to get you there, you ain't going to make it. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. All right. So we got to start at the beginning, bro. So, yeah. you know, we we always into the backstory. We got to talk about, you know, the upcoming. Talk about it, man. Where you from? Talk about a little bit, you know, growing up, man. Yeah, man. South side, Richmond, Virginia, you know. So anybody who knows anything about the south side of most uh, metropolitan areas, it's, you know, not the... Uh, prettiest environment to grow up in in a single parent household my brother and I just had my mom and so you know she did a phenomenal job made a lot of sacrifices for this young man that's sitting in front of you today to develop into what I am and what I believe I will be when it's all said and done and so I got an older brother 12 years apart so in in a lot of ways we both are kind of like only children right like I'm 12 he's 24 like we're not really hanging out he got his own set of friends and so same for me um and so I'm so grateful for the business that we find ourselves in because I know for sure that's a huge contributor of how we've definitely became more close on the personal level and right. also just really um, expanded our brothership. And so growing up, went to uh, high school in county schools, right? Okay. So interesting dynamic for me growing up in the city. Other than police officers, you know, I really had very little exposure with white people. Right. <laughs> OK. And so day one. Right. My mother put in for an academic exemption for me or exception. And that was granted. Day one, I show up. She dropped me off James River High School. And I had never seen that many white people in my life. <laughs> right. So for me, I thought I was in Hollywood because that's really where I imagine most white people kind of congregated. So that was like a real culture shock for me. Right. Okay. You know, I got my cool gym iceberg on and, you know, Louis Vuitton book bags and things like that. And it just was it was different. It right. was interesting. Right. Um, but I definitely believe that that was one of the pivotal um, incidents and occurrences in my life that really started to turn the trajectory for me without really any input from me. Right. Of being conscious about getting to a better point in life. Right. Seeing what was really possible. Um, going to that school really opened that up for me in terms of my perspective. So, you know. I'm on the basketball team. Um, of course, you're like Will Smith. Give it to Will. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I was a good shot. So, you know, I quickly rose up the ranks, you know, and now we're having team functions, right? Other teammates invite me over to their homes, and I had never seen homes that big in my life, in real life. I mean, these are like mansions. So, right. again, I'm like, yo, what do your parents do? Like, they like directors in Hollywood? Because, again, that's, that's my proximity of it. But um, no, man, it was people that were doctors, lawyers, people who were executives at companies such as Capital One. And I'm like, wow, like you can earn that type of money and then have homes like this and vehicles like that. And so, you know, when you come from an area where you are deprived of certain exposure and experiences, you see those things and instantly you get a level of excitement. Right. Like you want nice cars or nice homes or whatever it is that moves you. And so that just really, I know for sure, looking back on it now, was one of the pivotal points that really expanded my level of knowing, like, it's possible. Right, right. right. Now I just need to find a vehicle that gets me there that fits with how I move, my skill sets, my interests. And so from there, um, got into hustling, man. You know, I was selling Pokemon cards. I was selling uh, jerseys off my back that my mom was paying for. So for me, I had zero costs in it. And before even knowing what 
arbitrage was. I quickly introduced myself to the arena of knowing how to get rid of something for more than what I had in it. Right. And so that turned into about twenty five hundred bucks a month for me, which was really important because contributing to the household expenses was something that was a real big thing for me. Right. My mom putting in all of those hours wasn't something that I was happy with, right? Because we weren't even really able to spend that much time together. And I just felt like for a woman, that really isn't the natural position for any woman to play, right? Being the breadwinner and having to adhere to all of the different pressures and nuances that comes along with being in the workplace as a female on top of that, it's, uh, it's stressful, you know? And I think the bodies of women deals with stress in ways that are not as health healthy to them as certain things that we as men can kind of deal with. And so I just wanted to help, man. Like, I felt like that was the only way I could show her that I was appreciative, right? And so I'm taking that money and paying cable bills, paying light bills, right? Whatever I could do. And then from there, you know, watching my brother was also like, again, I'm sure motivating and, and, and it penetrated me in a way that I didn't even recognize because he's always been an entrepreneur. Like my brother has done some of everything, man, from sheetrock. If you've ever gone to a Walmart and you parked in a spot, he used to, he had a contract with them. He was putting those lines down. I think it's called like uh, striping or something like Uh, that. Like, man, he's done some of everything. And so he's always been his own man. He's always been a man amongst men, right? And so it's just been a lot of contributing factors to me, man, that, you know, has gotten me to being as polished as some people like to think that I am. But for me, I'm still in the journey. I'm still learning. You know, I haven't reached my pinnacle yet. Yeah. So so taking it back a little bit, you said you got an exemption to go to this other school. So was that like an academic exemption because you were super smart? What was going on? I was smart. You were you were pretty I say you, super you, smart. you were like ahead of the class a little bit. I think it's just in our genes. Like my brother graduated high school at 16. OK. Yeah. Okay. So. Again, I just think that that's yeah. a genetic thing. It would be easy for me to try to take credit for it, but you know, it's just. So, it's so, so how far was that school from where, from like the high high school you would have went to? Fifty minutes. Fifty minutes. Easy. So, was your mom driving you to school every day? Oh wow! Every day. Wow. Yeah. So that that right there already was another investment. She had to actually drive you to yeah. school every day, fifty minutes. Yeah. But she invested in your education that early. Hundred percent. All right. Cool. So you went to what's it called, James? James River. James River uh, High School. This was ninth grade? Yeah. Okay. So you did your whole high school career there? No, man. I did bounce around quite a bit, but okay. all of them out? happened to be... No, fortunately, <laughs> right? So, you know, um, I mean, I had my fair share of fights, right? You know, again, you come from a certain environment and, and you know, really being serious, we learn conflict resolution different than a lot of other cultures, yeah. right? So yeah. when you grow up in the hood, fighting and, and other acts of violence is normalized. You know what I'm saying? And so it's easy to react that way when that is something that's so customarily normal of how you handle things like that. And so, yeah, I I definitely got in my fair share of scraps, but my grades always saved me and having a mother that is super committed. Um, But the reason that um, I went to other schools was in part because we just moved a lot. You know what I mean? But fortunately, she made it a a priority of hers to make sure that there were always county schools that I was going to. So all of them was pretty much the same environment. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you graduate high school. What's yep. next? Graduate high school, man. And even in high school, you know, I'm working, right? So I'm still doing homework for some of my teammates, which was a great 
um, revenue stream for me for sure, man. You, you'd be surprised. That's a lucrative market. Um, you know, I know I some imagine. teachers may not want to hear this, but I've, I've provided test answers. You name it, man. And wow. the, so the bigger the stakes, the bigger the pay. Yeah, yeah. You the plug. Yeah, you know. I needed somebody like you when I was when I was coming up, man. <laughs> I would have been looking for you. <laughs> My first job, man. I'll never forget her. Gloria Sampson, uh, TJ Maxx. Okay. Uh, tremendous human being. She allowed me to work. Uh, because I was taking honors courses, so I was getting out of school early. So I'd go to practice, I'd go to work, and I had a lot of time on my hands, right? So it allowed me to um, just bring in, again, additional revenue, which was important for me. And then from there, I got into sales. Um, again, not knowing that that was really like a lane for me, uh, but my first job selling was at H.H. Gregg. Okay. Right. So appliances, TVs, and they have a policy there where, you know, whatever department you get hired to, that's really the only products that they want you to sell. So if you're in electronics, you're only selling electronics, not the appliances, vice versa. Okay. That didn't make sense to me because you and your wife come in, right? Y'all looking for, she looking for a dishwasher, you looking for a TV. Now I got to split the commission. That don't make sense. Right. So I proposed to my managers. I'm like, listen, if I put the time in to learn, right, can I cross sell? They like, of course, you know, they want the revenue, right? Yeah, yeah, they getting sure. bonuses and things. So they incentivized by this. So they're like, yeah, no problem. Well, whether they factored it or not, um, of course, it was met with opposition from other salespeople on the different uh, departments because it's like, yo, he taking my sale. Like he's supposed to pass that to me because now when Ramel comes in, I'm like, yeah, what you looking for? Right. Whatever. It don't, matter, store, it don't matter. I'm taking you to either area of the store. Right. And so that was great for me. Um, did well. A guy comes in. Really nice polished suit. He was sharp, man. And he's like, after the end of it, I end up selling him a dishwasher and um, a, a matching washer and dryer set for his wife's anniversary. Okay. And he's like, man, you know, don't disrespect what you're doing here, but I feel like, you know, you're not really utilizing your skill sets here. Like, they're not maximizing that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, man, you got to wait with people. Like, you, you're a really effective communicator, and I can tell you really are committed to people's experience. And I'm like, because eh, I heard that a lot. I just do. Right? right. From family on up, it's just always been innate. And so when you hear things so much, I do think you have a propensity to become numb to it. Yeah. So I was like, ah, whatever. You just saying that. No, man. Dude didn't tell me what he did, but he dropped my name to the recruiter. Fast forward. She worked at, at Northwestern Mutual, which is where I ended up getting hired as a freaking financial advisor right out of high school. No college degree, no college experience, no financial experience, anything to that degree. They interviewed me seven times with seven different people, which led me to become a little skeptic <laughs> because I'm like, what job interviews you this much? Is this like a secret CIA location? Like, What's going on here? Right. But um, again, another bullet where I can connect the dots and say that that was really transformative for me. Again, it took what I experienced at James River and seeing these big homes and people with wealth to a whole nother level. Now I'm really closely working with people who are multimillionaires two, three, five times over. And so that was that was a real great time for me. Right. And it was going well. Um, I am the youngest in company history, far as I still know. Um, to hit their pay set of 40 award, which is where in the first six months you achieve 40 accounts or more of a million dollars or more in terms of whole life insurance. And then 40 accounts in that same six month time of managing $100,000 or more. Right. Again, this is young brother coming from the right, hood. Right, no right. network of nobody I knew was interested in investments of insurance. Like yeah. we didn't even know what that was. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it was surreal for me. So, so, so hold on. I mean, Training, like how, how did you learn about this stuff? Tell, tell me about that. I will say that their training program is pretty robust. Okay. Um, they definitely whip you up into shape. It's like 
the military for financial education, for sure, which I can definitely credit to how, you know, my brother and I have really been able to scale um, in such a quick time because I definitely brought that to the table for sure. What, what was your secret sauce that allow you, allowed you to, you know, be so ahead of the ahead of all your other peers to be able to reach those milestones so quickly? What, what, what was it about you? I mean, outside of all those other, you know, characteristics you have, what do you think was the secret that really got you there? Grit. I know what I want. Like, and it has changed over the years as I'm aging and maturing and experiencing different things. But I, I have always had something to pursue, always. And so one, first and foremost, to get my mom into a situation where she never had to work again, that was like, OK, I need to find vehicles that can help me bring in money. Right. So it was money. And so, you know, you, you, you know, to get money, it's all about bringing value. Right. Like and I think that that's the relationship that a lot of us need to really look at having with the attraction and the attainment of money is what can I do to be valuable, right? What market can I be most valuable to? And I feel like once you connect those two things, the money is easy. Mm. It comes in abundance. It comes naturally and it comes easily without having to screw anybody over, without having to do underhanded things, and uh, really without having to think about it at that point. Right. Did you ever have a feeling of, uh, you know, being a, a young black kid in, in, in this type of space, did you ever have that feeling of like, maybe I don't belong here or... Um, how did you overcome that? No, I, I'll tell you, man, I've always felt in a weird way that even if the natural thought from the people that are in that room or at that table or someone that would be in my position walking into that room or having a seat at that table, I've always felt like when I join it, I'm bringing a, a level of diversity and uniqueness that isn't there. Mm. And so I've always felt like I belong because I can bring something that you don't currently have. And when you look at things in that light, I think you quickly can find a way where you can create an angle and a, and a, and a usage for yourself to people who might not naturally look at you that way. How about your peers? How about the other people you work with? How did, how did they work with you? Oh, yeah, man. You know, people, for whatever reason, have always taken a liking to Kamar, <laughs> you know, at least with what they represent themselves to me. Right, right. right. I so don't know had, what so they you say had no issues me. in the company. You, you were good for the most part. You know, I'll tell you, I thought so. Okay. Right. Again, what people represent themselves. And so it got to a point, again, I'm doing well there. And, you know, they, they present these numbers to you and uh, they show you like your likelihood of retiring with them and what type of monies you'd be making at that point just because of the residuals that you would be getting from a commission perspective as it relates to um, like the insurance policies and then the investments. And it was it was really attractive. Right. Because, yeah. again, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing money. But my brother and I had an idea to start a car dealership. OK. And so I was very open and honest and transparent about having outside business activity. And that's, you know, where we were met with some resistance. Mm. And so it made no sense to me because there were other gentlemen there that had all different kind of outside business activities. And being in a car dealership to me had no issues in terms of violations with the financial side of any of the regulatory um, mandates that I was under with my licenses and even what I represented for their brand. And, uh, you know, simply put, they, they gave me an ultimatum. And uh, I'm not one that does. I don't do well with that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. How much money were you making at the time when you decided to take the 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 other side of the ultimatum? Six figures. Six figures at eighteen, nineteen. Eighteen, nineteen, doing yeah. six figures yeah. for this financial planning. Which, which I mean, for most most people in that position, they would be like, "Man, I, I can't give this up." Hundred percent. But you believed in yourself that much. Absolutely. Hundred percent. 
Wow. Belief has never been anything that I am short on. <laughs> and uh, for any of you guys, I am short in stature, five, six, but I've never been short in belief. Right, right, right. I'm seven, two in my mind. There it is. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, cool. So your brother and you are going to start this tire company. And, this yeah. t- and your brother's how old is this sound? Because he's 12 years older than you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's about almost close to 30. So at this 20s. time, when I'm at the financial, when I'm a financial advisor, that is, that was 2011. Okay. Like this is early on, right? Okay. Like again, like right out of high school, I graduated 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So no, we, at that point, we're talking about a uh, car dealership. Okay, the car dealership. Yeah. I'm sorry. All right. So get back to the car dealership. Yeah. So, you know, I jump out there with him and we do it. Um, from a financial standpoint, epic failure. <laughs> epic failure. Because it just was too much for too little, right? Like, even then, without, na- like, now I'm in a position to really better define it. But then I just felt like, again, it was too much for too little. Okay. But now, how what my brother and I see it, like, if we're going to run out to something, it needs to have a pretty high ceiling because. From an effort perspective, from a commitment, from an attention aspect, right? From an efficiency standpoint, even execution, we're going to give it our all. And so it's like we might as well have a big payday and an upside to it versus something that's going to require that same level of attention and energy. And, you know, you, you, you as high as this might. <laughs> that don't make sense to me. Right. All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. You know, right, right, right. so yeah, we quickly got out of that, man, because I mean, literally we, we selling used cars, right? Young man, young lady come, they spend $3,000 Romeo, what they think they getting? <laughs> they calling, yeah, my tire pressure light on. Okay. Put some air in the tires. Right. Nah, man, they want you to come to Northside Richmond, get the car, bring it back, air it up. And so, yeah, we had to get out of that thing, man. Right. They had crazy expectations. Yeah. So, so how long did you do the, the uh, we did that about about three years. Okay. Yeah. About three years. So what what happened? You stopped it, just dissolved the business? Yeah, man. We uh, sold all of the cars. When we sold that last car, you would have thought we were selling our first car because of the level of excitement. <laughs> we were like, now we can officially like, it's done. It's yeah, over. We out of here. Thank right. you. It was good. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Okay, cool. So what's next after that? After that, man, I go back into corporate America, right? He goes on to getting into concerts, right? Okay. So, you know, whether he's bringing uh, nationally recording artists, booking a venue, advertising it, promoting it, radio, TV, all of that good stuff, flyers. And at the time, right, I'm like, I need some more stable. Yeah. So I go back into corporate America. Financial I'm, planning I'm, again? No, I'm selling cars with CarMax. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so c- couldn't make it on my own doing cars. So I said, I let them deal with all of the backlash, but I know I can sell. Right. I know I can sell. Sales for me has always been... It's like um, a hammer for a handyman. Like, I know I can rely on that and I can get it done. Okay. I don't care what the product is. You give me two weeks, I'll learn it. I'll speak about it more passionately than the owner. Trust me. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so I jumped back into cars, man. And, you know, it worked well for me because it was easy, right? I'm I'm talking to people. I'm putting them in a position to obviously get the vehicle that they have desired for so long. In certain cases, people who just need something uh, for the scenario at the moment. And again, I'm back on commission. Right. So I, I know I have no cap. Right. So that was always to me like the entry level 
skill needed for entrepreneurship. So I'm selling. Uh, got to a point, then I proposed another. I'm always proposing things. Right, right, right. So I proposed to my managers. I'm like, listen, I need y'all to let me make my own schedule because, like, that's going to really help me be the most effective. Like, just standing here all day, like, I think I've shown y'all at this point. Because instantly, within, like, three months, I made President's Club, which is where I don't remember the exact number, but you sell a, a decent amount of cars in three months' time. Okay. Right? So I'm selling like crazy. And so they agree. So now, Ramel, I'm going in at 12. I sell you a car. I sell your homie a car, right? And I'm going for the day. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm just hanging around, playing basketball, doing whatever I wanted to do, right? Yeah, yeah, With yeah. girls. This is before I was married. Um, you know, all that kinds of stuff. So right. I'm enjoying life, right? right. I'm making three, four $4,000 a week doing pretty much maybe 25, 30 hours. And uh, then, you know, fast forward, uh, my mom, you know, she's like, yo, what you're doing is cool, but, like, have you thought about getting with your brother? Now, at this time, I knew he had started another venture because, like I said, man, he he getting in, in and out of a business like you getting in and out of a car. Like, <laughs> he don't play. Right. He try it out. If it ain't sticking quick, he gone. He going to try go. something else. Yeah. So, um, in the midst of doing the concerts, right, that was going well for him, but you got to remember, right, concerts are kind of sporadic. You do one this month, you might not have another one for another 60, 90 days. So it can bring in great money, but it's not necessarily cash flow, right? Which is essential. So he had started to venture into looking at big truck tires, commercial tires. And so I knew he was doing something with it, but I didn't know really all of the ins and outs. So my mom, we, we have dinner often on Sundays. That's a family thing that we do. And so she's like, yeah, you know, you should think about looking to help your brother out. I'm like, well, what do you got going on now? She like the tires. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So through her, I knew he was doing well with it. It was a, a very relaxed operation he had, right? One employee that was helping him stack tires in the warehouse and himself. Guys would come with their pickup truck. They take two tires, 24 tires. They roll on. It's all good to go. Cash and curry. Easy, right. painless, right. quick. Right. So he was doing that, though, in the middle, in the beginning, with seven used tires, which is where he started out of his shed in his backyard, like okay. real life. It's yeah. like some uh, Steve Jobs, you know, Negro Apple type stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, for real, people yeah. come into the house all kinds of times of the day and night. And then he transitioned into getting a warehouse on Belt Boulevard in the East Belt Trade Center. Uh, just because at that point it had grown pretty decently. He had proven the concept out. And so it was like, all right, I need somewhere else with strangers. I'm just coming to my house. Right. So knew nothing about tires. Wasn't really sexy or interesting to me. Um, but I'm like, okay, let me see what he got. Because, of course, we have had prior experience with working with each other before. So I'm like, let me see. So I would talk to him and I'm like, okay, cool. But again... I had a decent thing going on at CarMax where literally, bro, I'm just going there, sell a few cars and I'm gone. Right. And so, you know, to a degree, it definitely deferred my decision to join. And so all of this kind of is happening between 2017, 2018. Right. Just to kind of put some perspective on the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it got to a point where I'm like, well, let me see it. Right. Let me let me get a, a, a taste of it. So now I'm leaving CarMax two, three in the afternoon. I'm coming down here. And I'm playing with him and customers with the tires. Know nothing about tires at all. But like I say, give me two weeks, I'll know it. Right. And so I'm literally changing my shirt when I get down here, talking to customers. 
And that really gave me a huge level of respect for truckers because, again, outside of being on the highway in a car next to them, I really never had thought much about what they do. Right. But you really quickly grow to see how very important and vital they are to all of the conveniences that we find. And a lot of us may take for granted. And whether that's going and picking up a banana from the grocery store, I don't know where you at, right, in the part of America, but where I'm at, there ain't no banana trees here where I can go and grab no banana. <laughs> Facts. And you can go in the, ba- uh, in, the, in the grocery store and have your fuel, um, getting fuel from a gas station. So, like, I quickly was able to, like, see somebody that I could help because I felt like they needed it. They, they deserved it. Because if you look at, like, the military, you look at the police force, nurses, all those people definitely deserve the do that they get. But truckers are like an afterthought, man. And it's crazy because without them, I'm telling you, man, this thing breaks quickly and easily. And so I think that that started to really kind of pull on my passion. Right. And so January 1, 2019, I made it official. My brother and I had some conversations around what the details would look like. And uh, I jumped on board. Okay. Okay, cool. So that brings us to the start of this relationship with you and your brother. So tell me a little bit about the business when you first join on. What do what what do you first see? What are some of the things that you, you know, automatically think that you can change? What do you think you're going to bring to the company? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I see. I see a hustler running at 100 miles per hour, right? Cuz now I'm in it. So he's ordering tires, right? He's slinging tires, but there was a lot of things that were missing. First thing, POS system, merchant processing, man, guys are literally getting taken to the ATM machine, which is right down the street at the McDonald's and the Exxon service station, about a half a mile down the road to get cash. Right. And I'm like, yo, this is not sustainable. Like (laughs) we got to get this under wraps. So, you know, from something as minute as that to just, again, sales, like I knew I could bring that. Right. And then I also felt that, you know, from a financial perspective, I could obviously act as a as a CFO in um, on-the-job training, right? So I've never officially been that for any company, but my time at Northwestern Mutual definitely gave me a lot of uh, foundational financial pillars to be able to pull on. And so came in with that, um, had a vision in terms of what we could do to really expand that, and so really wanted to get into being able to assist the drivers and the truckers who needed the acute scenarios met, Right. Guy rolling down the road with his load, boom, he blows a tire. He needs road service if he can't limp to the store. And so getting to a point where we could put the tires on, like introduce that. Um, getting to a point where we added road service, right? So now the same operation that we have here on the physical grounds where we're changing or repairing a tire, now we can do that on the road for these guys so that they can continue on their way. And just really streamlining and cre- creating and streamlining a customer experience that is second to none. Mm. By far, the the amount of customer care that we administer before, during and after the sale. Second to none, as you know, like this industry is so transactional and from uh, mechanic places to tire places, most truckers are just seen as a dollar sign. And so it's all about the money for us. It's all about the relationship and the rapport building. I believe if we take care of you and put you in positions to not only save money on your tires or save time to be able to get back out there to make more money or what have you, but if we can really put you into an ecosystem where from our resources that we've amassed at this point, whether that be actual individuals or that be knowledge, to make you a more profitable running trucking operation, why would you not do business with us? Right. And so it's little things like that that, 
you know, we got the momentum going on it and now it's like a runaway train, man. So so how do you do that? Because as you know, like, you know, this business is so fast paced, you know, guys just need to get their stuff and they want to go. So what are the additional things that you're adding, those value adds that are making, you know, continuing the relationship after they, they get a tie? Like, how, how do you actually do that? Yeah. So for starters, the transaction itself, we have a process where you come in, you get taken care of with what you came for. Maybe we, you know, um, educate you about some other things that you might have not known about that you needed for the truck. We take care of that. And then literally right after that, we have a process where we reach out to you in a certain time frame and we make sure that the the product that you got from us is still holding up. So your experience is still good. Right. Mm. And you'd be surprised how far that goes with people, because, again, usually after people get the money, you're an afterthought. That's a fact, especially in this game, because you got to think if a cat comes in here and buys eight new drive tires, the likelihood, unless something crazy happens and he hits something in the road, the likelihood of him needing tires again for that same specific truck is very low for at least 18 months to 24 months. Right. But for us to be that thoughtful about it, I know it, it, it goes over well with the guys because it's like, damn. Like they ain't just preaching the gospel, like they really do care, right? Yeah. Um, so that's like one example. Another example is, you know, a lot of our owner operators that come in here are are um of a different ethnicity, right? And so that puts them in a position to become DBEs and, and become SWAM, like uh disadvantaged business enterprise, small women and own minority uh companies. And so we help them, right? We partner them with people who can help them get those designations because Versus just looking on a load board, right, and having to scavenge for different loads that might have crazy rates that don't really make sense, especially in an industry. I mean, not an industry, but an economic time like right now where the gas rates are going crazy, right? Like you can get government contracts, right, state, local, federal, and find yourself getting paid an enormous amount for even less work and less miles, which then preserves the truck. So um, it's opportunities like that that we present all the time as well. And so it's just like, yo, these people really care because... We don't get anything financially from an incentive standpoint for that, but it just makes us feel good to know that we really are doing things that we know can be beneficial, introducing it and trying to put everybody in a position where everybody is growing. Got you. Let's rewind a little bit. Why do you know why your brother got into the tire business to begin with? 100 percent. Yeah, man. So, you know, my brother was into passenger tires. Again, I tell you, he's tried a lot of things um, for about 14 years. And so his main distribution point for that was selling to other retailers that sold used and new passenger tires, right? So he never had like a real storefront at first. Then, you know, some of the guys started getting squirrely on the net 30 payments and stuff like that. And so, of course, him being, quote unquote, the plug, it was easy for him to just pivot to retail. And Mm. so he did. And a lot of his customers at the time happened to be truckers, unbeknown to him, that were bringing their personal cars, their wives' cars, getting tires. And they're just kind of um, venting, if you will, right, about different challenges that they're facing. And so he knew their plight very well. And so for him, the biggest thing to get into it was getting them better cost and saving them money on tires. So his uh, slogan at the time when he really originally kicked this off was wholesale prices directly to the driver. And so that helped like really spew it because his prices were very low. Um, And so, yeah, that that was his reason. How how was he able to have those low prices? Man, I'm going to tell you, man, again, a lot of serendipity in our life. So, (laughs) He met another unicorn, a black guy who was in in investment banking and commercial tires, who took a liking to him because of his hustle that he displayed. Right. Mm. And so that is how he got his start. You know, the guy was literally whatever he would buy, the guy would throw. So if he bought 30 ties, guy would throw him 30 ties and give him 30 days, give him 60 days. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's how I got started. Yeah. 
So he just was like a random encounter. I don't know the inner work of how they met. That's but dope, though. Yeah, I do know that that is the origin story. Okay, got you. And then you said he started selling like out of the small, uh, out of his shed, out in of his a backyard, small shed yeah, in the backyard, and yeah. Then he, and then he went into this this space warehouse. Right here. Yeah, no. So the the other location prior to this one was a, a five thousand uh, square foot warehouse in the East Belt Trade Center. So it's probably like twenty minutes from here. So that was the first location that yeah. you went to, right? Okay, yeah. cool. So when you came at that time, what was the company doing in terms of revenue? So at that time, uh, my brother had gotten it to 317000 Okay, 317000 So what does that equate to in terms of like how much tires are you moving like per week or per month or however you kind of calculate? Yeah, so with him getting it to that point, remember, I wasn't part of it. wasn't so, there, Yeah, right. so I don't, I don't know exactly how many okay. tires were sold, uh, but I do know that that's where he ended 2018. But I can tell you 2019, which is when I joined, um, you know, we we multiplied that several times over. And, okay. you know, we, we crossed over the seven-figure threshold. And that year we sold about 2,800 tires. 2,800 tires. Yeah, and then uh, 2020, uh, we sold about 7,500 tires. And then in 2021, we sold over 15,000. Okay, got you. All right, so when you're getting into the tire business, I mean, how many different, I guess, uh, vendors are you guys working with to to get your tires? Like, I mean, because this initial guy that you were working with was is he still somebody you work with now? Or no, man, he he. Um, when my brother encountered him, you know, he was on the tail end of things, and so he sold the business. Okay, and I don't know what he's into now. Right. Yeah. So that, so that was done. So you guys had to find like new vendors and yeah. all that. So kind of like, give, give us an idea like how the process works to how you guys actually acquire your tires and, and how that kind of starts to, you know, the flow. Yeah, I can tell you firsthand uh, how it goes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, my brother could tell you, man, in, in the beginning, right after he sold a company and it was just not the same arrangement anymore. Now we're in the streets per se, or we're on our load board looking for, you know, people who we can get tires from. And, uh, you get scammed. That, that's how it works, right? You know, you, you're you right. looking for the cheapest cost, right? Because right. you want to have a decent margin, but you also want to have a decent selling price so that you don't turn people off um, because it is a very fickle market in terms of pricing. And yeah, you get scammed, man. You know, we sent uh, deposits twice and uh, never got tires. Wow. Yeah. So I caution anybody, man, when it comes to them, you know, overseas opportunities, just do your due diligence right. for sure. Uh, but now at this point, right, we have it pretty dialed in. So, of course, you have your local vendors for certain things. But mainly that's the passenger tire market for us that we purchase tires. We don't do much of that. Our niche is definitely the, the commercial, commercial tires. But um, at this point, you know, we have some vendors that we've locked in that are in different places in the country. Um, and even some that are overseas that we have a really great re- working relationship with so, that we deal with direct. So how do you vet your vendors? Like, how do you know who's trustworthy? What, what are you doing in order to make sure you're working with the right people? Yeah, you start flying places. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you need to you need to see the facility. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you just buy some plane tickets and you you pull up. Yeah, Romel, I'm I'm coming to see you. Okay. And quickly, right there, you know, you find a lot of phone calls stop being answered, a lot of emails stop being answered because then they know, you know, just a different level of seriousness, and obviously they don't have the uh, they don't have the facility to back up what they was about to try to get from you in terms of the money. Got you. So okay, so like. At this point, like, what are you, are you going on Google? Are you going on, like, is there, like, an Alibaba for tires? Like, where are you oh, finding a, these it, vendors? It's an Alibaba for tires, but again, I caution you, man. You know, that, a lot of those scenarios. You get scammed out yeah, there. Yeah, man. But, but that's where you'd start, though. Yeah, because you're trying to find something, right? Okay. Like, at this point, we already got something going, so we got to keep it going, right? Um, But, yeah, for us, you know, you start really talking to other people that's in the industry. Okay. 
and you know, you met with resistance there again because majority of the people in the industry don't look like us. Right. Um, so that's and they want to give up their plugs, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure like that's the most important part. Like your your plug, if you find a good plug, you don't want to tell any everybody who it is. You know, like I'm sure I'm, you're not going to tell me who your plug is right now or, or, I, for, for everybody to know who it is, right? You know what I'm saying? We or maybe can talk you off camera because of where we <laughs> right, are right, now. Right, exactly. But you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't expect you to. Yeah. Right? So, so you know, that's like the most important thing. So yeah. how, how do you, like, I'm sure you had to make a whole lot of calls, do yeah. a whole lot of, lot lot of, of traveling. Yeah. Um, I, I attribute that success truly to my brother, man. Okay. You know, he like a bounty hunter. He okay. going to find it. You know, trust and believe. So, like I said, you know, it was finding different opportunities, however he went about doing that. Maybe it was some online searching. All I I only received the end product. Like, yo, bro, we going here, we going here, we going here. I talked to Ramel, I talked to this person. We need to check them out, make sure that they legit. Because at this point, we've tried the Alibaba's and we've gotten a scam, right? Like, literally. So, that's how how it went. Okay. And then, you know, seeing the legitimately of these people's operation, okay, now we spend some money with them. And over the years, now the relationship is solidified to the extent where, you know, we, we get pretty good deals. How do you know what to look for in a tire? Like, because you said you get scammed. So what is getting scammed when you get a tire? Like, are you getting like a piece of rubber that doesn't work? Like, what, what does that mean? It means we got no tires. You get no tires at all. Yeah. Okay. But is there such thing as a bad tire though? It used to be. Okay. Right? Like, the tire market has come a long way. So, at one point of time, you had, like, the import brands that got a really bad knock, right? Almost like Hyundai. Like, 10 years ago, Hyundai, in terms of what it was then and what it is now, it's different. Like, you can buy a Genesis that look like a Mercedes and actually ride like one. <laughs> right. right? Back in the day, that wasn't the case. Right. So, um, I think the same can be said for tires. Like, really, it's not necessarily so much a bad one now. You just have, like, good, better, best. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. So certain factories do produce a better quality tire depending on what it is that you're trying to solve for. So if you're a guy and girl that's an owner-operator and you're looking for, like, mileage, right? Like, you're looking for cost per mile. There's a certain tire range that we can talk to you about. If you're somebody who's looking for a tire that's going to get you the best fuel mileage, like that's probably going to be a whole different type of tire because there is technology and engineering that does go into them. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Lachifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcast. Okay, so it's more about that now. Got you. So when you're when you're sourcing these tires, do these factories provide all different brands or do you have to go to different vendors for the specific brands that you're looking for? How does that work? You got it. Yeah. Different vendors for different brands, for sure. Okay. And you'd be surprised, man. A lot of the quote unquote American made brands are not American made anymore Mm. for what it's worth. Got you. You still got that crazy price tag. So branding. So so how, how many vendors are you guys working with typically to get supplied? 
Four, four on a consistent like basis. Four consistent, yeah. and then sometimes you got to kind of go outside the network. Yeah, and so that's when based we, on when availability. Okay, because especially right now in today's time, like pricing obviously is one thing, and that's to be said about many industries. Whether that's fuel, rent, homes, cars, everything is spiking right now because of the inflation, right? Um, and other other factors. But the biggest thing is availability. Right. And so certain manufacturers might not have what you need, depending on the position and the size. And so at that point, you have to pivot because you have to have something. So a guy might come in here looking for Michelin, but if Michelin has been on back order, right, for three months and nobody has it. Now I need to talk to you about something else, but I also need to have something else for you because you still need a tire. And depending upon, again, what you're trying to solve for, there could be just as capable, if not a better option available for you that I can educate you about. Mm, Okay. So what's what's the typical turnaround time, like typically from order to getting back to the end user, which is you? Used to be 45 to 60 days, but right now, man, it's more like, 90 days. So it's double. And, and that's on a, you've had nothing go wrong. So how does that impact your business? Like you have to order a lot more inventory ahead of time? Definitely. So budgeting has definitely gone out the window. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, like if you were a publicly ran company, right, there would be a lot of scrutiny on the CEO for making a decision like that. But fortunately, being privately held, you know, we're able to make different um, pivots without having to run that by anybody based on how we're seeing what is necessary for us to continue to thrive. Because obviously our business is very product driven. If you don't have tires, you don't have anything. Right. So yeah, over overspending, if you will, on uh, the, the product so that we can ensure that we have it. How important is credit? I'll tell you, man, it's, it's funny that you asked that. You know, I've had a couple of people ask me that recently. Up until this point, we've used no credit to purchase our tires, man. Really? Or to fund the entire business. Like, it has really been from the beginning, right, after it got past the stage of the seven used tires and everything. And, you know, we transitioned. Well, my brother transitioned from the warehouse to us coming together and now having this location. It's been self-sufficient. It pays for all of its own expenses from the staffing to the inventory to the leases, everything. Okay. So when you're ordering, do you have to like order? Is there usually like a mandatory minimum? Do you, can you order as much as you want, as least as you want? How does that kind of work? So when it comes to buying from the big brands, if you want to be an authorized dealer with them, yes, there are minimums. And that's one of the ways to deter someone um, in in my opinion. Yeah. Because, you know, we've had conversations with certain manufacturers and I won't even put them on blast, but, you know, a lot of them, you know, you, you, you present yourself as who you are and, you know, we're black individuals in a in a in a space that is definitely heavily dominated by the white male. And so, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we 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 can't do that. It's too many dealers in, in your area. And I'm like, man, there's so many trucks, like not one dealer, not two dealers, not three dealers can service all of the needs that's out there. So that's a bogus excuse. But right. all right, cool. Right. Then you had some that gave us the excuse of, oh, yeah, well, you got to buy, you know, two trailer loads of tires, you know? And I'm like, OK, cool. Like, what's the math on it? And they're like, <laughs> oh, it's X, Y and Z. And it's like, OK, cool. Yeah. What's next? Right. And then, you know, you don't get a reply back in the email and then you reach out and there's no voicemail. And it's like, so what's going on? And then they finally get back to you. And it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we. It's too many dealers in the area. It's like, mm. oh, okay, cool. So what I mean is every time you get to the goal line, they move it back. They move, they they move, move it. it back. So, so, so why is that? Because from their perspective, I mean, they're selling tires, right? So they're making their money regardless who they give it to. Why would they be concerned for other dealers? Why are they concerned about other dealers? Is it because those dealers want to have a monopoly? They're paying them more? Like, how does that work? Yeah, in my What's humble opinion. What's the game? Op- What's in, going on? In here? my humble opinion, it is definitely the pressures that they feel from 
storied brands that have been in business 100 plus years that have been doing business with them who, you know, um, shy away from competition. Mm. Wow. It's the only way I see it. I mean, it, it, it makes sense, but it's just interesting. I would have ne- never, well, I mean, obviously this is America. So, I mean, things like that do happen, but they want to basically like, nah, don't sell them no ties, sell, sell them to us. And, and, and we, can, we can buy more because we're bigger and, you know, we can probably pay more, you know, whatever they got to tell them in order to kind of shut you out. Yeah. And, you know, from inside sources, from different reps of different brands, we know for a fact that that has definitely been the conversation. Wow. So yeah. how, how do you circumnavigate that? You know, grit once again, right? All right. So, so getting back into business. So you start, you, you, you said you, you said the second year you doubled in size, right? And in, in sales. And 19 or 2020? 19. Uh, 19. You said after you joined the business, you said you joined at 17. Yeah. Right. No, I joined it. I joined in 19. Oh, 19. Yeah. Okay. Then the next year you said you guys, you said it was 317,000 in sales. 2018. That was all my brother. Okay. That was yeah, all your brother. That was 2018 prior to me. Okay. Yeah. And then y'all start scaling this business. Yeah. All right. So talk to me about some of the, you know, cause you talked about some of the great things you implemented, um, POS systems, you know, systems, I'm sort you know, you brought your financial, you know, stuff in there. Um, what were some of the challenges, though? What were some things that went wrong? Uh, for starters, man, you know. Uh, so for starters, I'd like to say this. My brother deserves all the credit for me even sitting down and sitting here in this interview with you. Because without him trying this business, first and foremost, to right. see if there was a market there to be uh, serviced, right? Then getting it to a point, like I say, where it was enough foundation there that was solid enough for somebody with my specific skill sets to come in and potentially take it to another level. Um, I'd never be here talking to you. Right. And so one of the challenges was the fact that. He gave me such autonomy. Right. Because of his (laughs) humility. Yeah. And so he literally moved from driver's seat to passenger seat without even a hesitation. Right. And I think, again, there's a lot to be said about what type of character an individual has to have to do that, to move out of the spotlight and allow somebody else to, again, quote unquote, get all of the credit for it. Because that's really what it's been lately. Right. Like so many people. Oh, come on, come on. But again, without him, none of this is possible. Yeah. And so the biggest challenge was I'm, I'm, I'm aggressive. Yeah. So literally knowing nothing about tires. January one. I'm starting with them. March, we had had a second location that's uh, 60 miles up the road. So right. our drive, we didn't have systems in place. We didn't have standard operating procedures. I knew nothing about tires. It was a mess. Yeah, We hiring people off the street that we don't even know what we're hiring for, honestly, right? Because you don't know yet. And uh, I mean, hell, even here, we hadn't even had a staff. I mean, we had literally, candidly put, Everything was like building the airplane as we were trying to fly, right? <laughs> right. We right, had two right. techs that weren't even techs. They didn't have any experience with changing tires. Okay. One guy was a warehouse experience dude. The other guy was a homeless dude. Real life. Okay. All right? Okay. And then you got me and my brother running around. I'm talking sales, negotiating tires. He running and taking them to the ATM to get cash. Right. Right? Right. So moving too fast, right? Being uh, overzealous. Those were definitely like some of the early mistakes. So, you know, of course, we put out a lot of money, right, to get this second location. And, you know, it was people that were being hired. And so that was definitely like, to me, one of the bigger mistakes in the early going. Trying to grow too fast. Yeah. Got you. How, how complicated are tires? Like, I mean, it seems pretty simple, right? 
It's a tire. But like when you get into the business of knowing tires and the differences and different types of tires and all that, how complicated and complex does it get? Like in, in what was like kind of like your learning curve? Like what did you have to learn about tires in order to be uh, successful? Yeah. So, again, understanding that they actually have technology to go into them, which blew my mind because I'm like, it's rubber. Like, what do you mean technology? Like, right. how does that work? Right. And so actually going to classes administered by Michelin, going to actually plants and factories and seeing the manufacturing process and the raw materials and the raw uh, and the rubber compounds and everything that goes into making them and how some can come out out around. Right. Uh, which means they just don't roll straight because of something in terms of a glitch with the the ceiling of the rubber coming together and different things like that. A lot of nuances. And so um, just immersing myself personally into everything tires related because I knew nothing. And so accepting being a novice and not looking at it as a hindrance, mm. you know? So I think that's like a lesson in anything, whether it's tires or whatever, when you go into something that you don't have experience or exposure to embrace being a novice. Embrace not knowing anything about it, because I think if you look at it from an exciting vantage point, that's when you're going to be able to get the most out of it. And so I think that that's how I was able to really propel myself from an education standpoint so swiftly. Got you. When you when you when you looked around and saw your competition, what, what did you guys think that you had to do or what did you guys know you had to do in order to stand out from from the other tire companies around? Yeah, it was easy, man. Again, this industry is just so transactional. And so in so many industries nowadays. Customer service is a thing of the past, right? And so when people ask me, like, man, what's y'all secret sauce? It's really that we give a damn. And I don't think that that's why I'm not shy about saying it. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you really possess the capacity to change your business model to care if you've never cared before, mm. you know? And so that's been the biggest driver for us, man. Like I said, from the resources that we um, bestow upon our owner operators that we've built in this community. Um, to just the treatment that they get, the service that they get. I mean, our guys, when they come here, man, you know, we don't have the most beautiful facility, but we have the most beautiful experience. And that's because when they get here, they're treated like royalty. Literally, man, they get out of the truck. We're greeting them. A lot of times we know their names at this point just because so many people are repeat. So many people have referred other people. And that's really been the, the, the win in our sales. Our growth has come from all organic. Like we've not spent a dime on advertising, man. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And so to get to a point where we're charting now for eight figures and we haven't spent any money on ads, it's it's kind of insane. Honestly, yeah. when you talk about a brick and mortar operation that obviously usually relies only on a certain radius for customers. Right. It's nuts. No doubt. How, how do you guys compete with price? We fair on price, man. I mean, price is usually up until this point, one of the few things that we usually aren't beat on. The things that we're beat on is either, you know, a, a guy to a degree has formed some sort of loyalty with a place because he's been going there for so long, despite not really auditing how he's getting treated. And so that's one of my questions to guys when they're like, oh, no, man, I'm good with my place where I'm at. And I'm like, are you? Like, what do they do for you to make you feel like you're good? Right. And it's a real thought provoking question because now I got you thinking about it. Well, like, man, I haven't heard from a sales guy in over 10 years. And it's like, so are you really good? Like, what kind of incentives are you getting for all of the all of those years of loyalty? Right. Here, we take care of our people because we understand that that's just our life's mantra, man. My mom instilled that in my brother and I a long time ago, man. You take care of the people who take care of you. And so from our team 
right, who are obviously in a position where their morale is high so that they can deliver a great customer experience, which my brother and I started as a foundation of what our niche customer can expect coming here, to then our end-user customer actually experiencing that and then us doing things for them to show them that we actually care, that they're choosing to spend their money with us, it goes a long way. Mm. Can we talk finances a little bit? Talk. So what's, what's the, do you know what the lifetime value of like a, your customer is? I do. What is it? Yeah. So right now we're at about 14.5. Okay, 14.5. Yeah. Okay. And what does that consist of? Like what's the metrics behind that? Yeah. So for us, obviously, again, right, we sell eight tires to a guy for that specific um, position, which is the drive axle. We're probably not going to sell him anything for another 18 to 24 months, just depending on what brand he bought, right? But obviously he has steers. And in a lot of cases, these guys own their trailers. And so it's just kind of breaking that down between knowing specifically what Ramel owns. So like if you actually own your trailer, how many trailers you got, how frequently are you running that trailer? Because some of our guys have a flatbed and a, a reefer, right? So depending on the season and what's really hot, they're driving a different trailer. And so there's a lot of little nuances in terms of the math. But the way that we got to that number is by chunking it down to our average customer spend. And looking at the average tire purchase in a year's time for that customer and then rolling that out over a five year period. Because for us, the five year time frame to me is like a safe one because we do see a lot of, um, I guess, volatility is a good word Mm -hmm. where a guy's in trucking today and then he's out of trucking tomorrow. Right. But because the industry is so hot for everyone that goes out, you probably got another 10 coming in. Right. Well, how how has price changed uh, over the last Couple, of, you guys been in business for four years, right? You've been apart for three. So I've been apart for three, three. Uh, but since 2016. Got so you. my brother started July 21st, 2016. So how has like inflation impacted the business in, t- in terms of what you know your costs and then you know your customers' costs? Yeah, you know, honestly, man, the 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 thing that saddens us about it because candidly put, right, all businesses are passing on that cost, right, right. So it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, man, it's making things difficult for us. But in a lot of ways, that cost is passed on. That's just the business thing to do. Right. Even though we've approached it a little bit different than that, but that is the most native and natural decision. And so I really feel for the owner operators because from fuel, right? I mean, this time last year, a guy could get, you know, around 200 um, and about, uh, yeah, I think it's like 200 gallons. He was getting like three, 400 bucks. Now he's spending... 800, Crazy. 900 bucks. Yeah. And so when you look at things like that and then you got to tell them like, yeah, man, that tire I sold you last year at 250. Yeah, it's 350 now. It's like, Jesus Christ. Right. So those are really the people who are really getting the bad short end of the stick. So for us, I mean, the cost, yeah, we're spending more money. Um, but for us, it's like anything else, man. It's just the cost of doing business, right? right? You have cycles in business. You have cycles in the economy where these kind of things are present. So we roll with it. But like I said, it's the truckers to me that are really getting the raw end of the stick, man. When you think about the way that the relationship is with a lot of brokers and obviously how that dynamic is not, in a lot of cases, the most fair in terms of the equity, um, the fuel, the maintenance, the tires. I mean, they're just getting punched, man, from so many different areas. And it's like, again, do we not realize how vital they are? I mean, I really think some legislation should come out around how much a broker should even be able to take, honestly. Yeah. Um, because from what I've heard, there's just tremendous exploitation in it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. You you talked earlier about you guys started adding other services, road service, and and so forth. Have those been things that have been on the profit side, or is that just an investment in like more so customer service? How has that worked for you guys? It's been both. So definitely customer service in the aspect of having more value that we can present, right? So um, being more useful, and then from a profit perspective, yes, um, we have definitely been in the green on that because again, it, it really doesn't change our operation much. Obviously, we have some texts that are specifically for the road service, but if road service isn't prevalent at that particular time, then they're on the yard, right? So they're changing the tires for the truckers that's coming through. Um, and when they get dispatched out, you know, um, we pay really well. So there's a lot of incentives um, from a commission standpoint, salaries and everything combined. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really not a huge additional financial overtaking for us to administer the road service. Is that something you guys do internally or you kind of work with somebody like other partners? Yeah, no, no, we you, do it all you internally. You do all internally yeah. road service? Yeah. So what you have to, what equipment did you have to get in order to do so that? So you got to get a truck, yeah. right? You got to get the bars and the cheetah, which is the air tank that fills, helps fill the uh, tire with air when they're airing it up. Um, the air chucks and um, compressor, obviously. Yeah. Um, the gun all of the sockets that you would need a lot of pretty much the same things that we would need for the store, but now having it in a mobile fashion. And it's 24 hour, 24 hours. How many texts do you guys have? We have 11, 11 texts. Yeah. How many trucks? Five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you got, so, and what's your like radius in terms of road service? How far? We pretty go? much cover the state of Virginia. Oh really? I mean, there've been some occasions where we went to um, the Carolinas. Uh, we went to like South Maryland. Okay. Yeah, we we'll stretch it out. Got you. And how how many road service calls do you guys typically get? Like, I guess weekly or monthly. How how does that kind of work? Yeah, weekly we're doing about eleven right now. About eleven. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So when when you guys sell a tire, you also just present that as a part of the package. Is that like an upsell type of thing? Like we or we just make them just, aware of it. Okay. You guys because a lot of guys don't well. know. Okay. Right. So they just think you're a physical store because just because. You have a physical store. Not all physical stores offer road service. Right. So it's just on us to make sure that they understand like, yo, if you actually have some needs for tires outside of here, we can help you with that too. Got you. Got you. You you took me through the warehouse. You kind of showed me the different types of tires you guys have and explained like, you know, you have some used tires, you know, for cheaper. Can you kind of explain like the different kind of tires that you guys have here at the facility and kind of like the different price points, you know, for people who are interested in coming and, and, you know, doing business with you? Absolutely. So we try to meet our owner operators wherever they are, meaning we have something for all budgets that's reasonable, right? Like, but on occasion, we actually have done some free things. Um, okay. But yeah, so within reason, we have a, a item and an option for all budgets. So we have used tires, we have new tires. And the new tires, we have imports. And then, of course, we have your premium brands, right? Um, and then we even have like a, a clearance um, department or, or area, I guess you should say, um, where they're quality used tires. In a lot of cases, they're virgins, which just means they haven't been recapped. Right. Um, that are redu reduced dramatically in the price um, just because either we are overstocked. Right. Um, or we're just trying to do something to, again, show our appreciation. And so, you know, we run a little different kind of sales, if you will, where it's like, yo, you come in and you buy one, we're going to give you the other one. Right. And so just a little different things, like I said, throughout our journey um, that we like to do to just make sure our guys understand that we really value and appreciate them choosing us as their place to get truck tires from. What what are your best selling tires? Trailer tires, man. At 295, 75, 225, man. Whether it be new or used, they probably run neck and neck. I mean, we probably sell the 
combined new and used of just that specific position and size, we probably sell about 400 of those a month. Mm. Not even talking about anything else. Like, it's nuts. Wow. And so a lot of times you find guys who, you know, are pulling trailers for Amazon and they've blown one. Because there's an Amazon um, warehouse, maybe like not even a half a mile from here. And so they come through and it's like, yeah, man, I just need something quick real quick. I'm like, what's that? 295, 75, 25? <laughs> like, yeah, how you doing? I'm like, yeah, it's like everybody's size around right. here. So, yeah, the, the Low Pro 22.5 trailer for sure, new and used, is probably our most consistent sold tire in terms okay. of frequency. Okay, got you. So most of the most of the customers that you see here are like something happened, like a blown tire. Is it like just guys like getting new tires? Like what's like your most consistent type of customer? I'd like to say, man, you know, we have some decent owner operators who really. They move like a big fleet. They move like a publicly traded company like Epps. Meaning, on top of their maintenance. Yeah, man. I mean, guys are really proactive of making sure that they're staying on it, man. Guy get down to 10, 30 seconds. He's changing all 10 tires. And so we have some really good guys that are just good with the preventative maintenance. Um, and then, yeah, we, of course, have a, a, a decent amount of people who come through and they just have acute needs where, you know, they just got loaded and, you know, the guy with the forklift end up hitting the tire and they'll cut it or something like that. Right. So, yeah, but a lot of it is planned. Okay. Yeah. Got you. In the, in the tire business, what are your most important like KPIs? What are the things that you guys are looking at? For us, I would say the biggest KPI is return rate. Like how are we how frequently are we seeing these people when they need tires? And so like one of the different things for us that I know for sure is a differentiator like we don't look to just sell you what we make the most money on. We're looking to sell you what is going to be most applicable for what it is that your application is. Mm. And I think that that's a huge difference because, I mean, literally, I've gotten some guys that have come through here, been driving 30 plus years. And some of the things that I am upon, I am, some of the information that I imparted upon them, they had never heard it before. Okay. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. Like, but I get it because it's counterintuitive things. Like, they go, they contradict being in the tire business, like a lot of places, they want to sell you things that are usually whether you do great with monitoring your air pressure and all of that jazz or not in terms of your pre-trips, the tire is just not built for your application, which then does what? Make you come back a lot sooner. Right. We don't operate that way. Like I'd rather not see you for 24 months if that's what I can maximally achieve for you, if that's the duration, if that's the the, the desired outcome you're looking for in terms of duration of a tire. But at the same time, like when you do need tires again, I'm looking at that. So if I know your tire is only going to last you two years and we've had that conversation and then, you know, we're right around that two year mark and I've reached out to you and it's like, hey, Ramel, just was thinking about you, man. You know, looking at the data uh, looks like you're probably coming up for tire change. Like, you know, let's talk about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I bought somewhere else. It's like, damn, what did I not do? Right. <laughs> right. So for us, that's like a huge key, key performance indicator. Um, and I, I'm happy and proud to say that that is high for us. You know, our repeat business, like I tell everybody this, man, if you shop with GTT, you'll never shop nowhere else before. Mm. Unless you just aren't in proximity to a store that we have. Got you. So asterisk on that. Got you. I like that. Yeah. Can, can you give me a scenario where like you had to educate an owner operator on like, you know, they maybe came in looking for one tire or thinking they needed something, but you were able to educate them and tell them, nah, this is probably what would be better for, you know, based on your operation or based on your needs. Can you explain something like that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to say that far as I know, 
the owner operators in this area who pull flatbeds, right? So, you know, they got that spread axle, which yep. is a tire eating machine. We, far as I know, one of the first operations to really educate around moving from a designated trailer tire with a decoupling groove, like a lot of them. So a lot of guys would come and they would have like that G3116, which is a good year, uh, shallow tread. Um, and a lot of them had even a recap version of that on their uh, flatbed tires. And they're like, man, I don't know why I keep having to go through tires. I just put these on six months ago. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. So I wanted to figure out why that was. And so quickly we introduced a solution, which is an all-position tire, which is going to be anywhere from 18, 30 seconds and higher, right? It's even a tire you can run on the steer if, you know, you so chose. But on that flatbed trailer, it is, like, amazing. Mm. So it's deeper tread. It has a closed rib, so it, it allows it to not get as eaten up as quickly, right, when that spread axle is doing its thing. And so um, we started to introduce that to guys, man, and educate them on why it would be beneficial. And, of course, we were met with some apprehension because, again, they had never heard it. It's like, who are you? You look like you're 12. I'm not even sure you know what you're talking about. Um, and I'm like, I promise, man, just trust me. We right. stand behind it 100%. If it doesn't work out, I'll refund you your money. Right. And they're like, what? Put it in writing. And I'm like, okay, no problem. All right. <laughs> All right. And so then the feedback we started to get, right? So I call at six months. I'm like, yeah, how are your tires looking, right? Are you in a position where you feel like you need to change them? And it's like, no, man. Like, it's like you done done some kind of sorcery, man. Like the tires just, <laughs> they look like I just got them from you. And I'm like, right. yeah, cool. And so, yeah, that was like one of the key things that with a lot of those guys who move like the steel beams for the uh, bridges. Yeah. Like that got us ingratiated in that community like that. Got you. Yeah. Got you. And you do recaps too, right? We do. Um, I always try to educate around what that experience can potentially be. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So recaps typically, right, are going to be cheaper than purchasing a new tire. A, a new recap, think about a car being primed down before it's repainted, right? So it's shaving that tire down to the bare minimum of rubber left before you get into the metal and the steel belts. And then they go over it with a new tread. So it's going to have new tread on it, but... The casing, which is the, the original form of the tire, right, is older because it could be a tire that was manufactured in 2018, right? We're in 2022. So that tire is already technically four years old because majority of the time when a tire blows, it's not going to blow from the tread. Things puncture the tread, a right. nail, some metal debris in the road. But that's not where the tire blows from, which is why you usually can patch those situations depending on how much metal may have been exposed and what kind of angle that that debris went into and things like that. But when a tire blows, typically it's blowing from the sidewall. And in a lot of cases, those are recaps because, again, that sidewall is four years old, even though the tread is new. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, you save money on the front end, but when it turns up those airlines and your mud flap, and then obviously you still got to get a roll call and replace the tire, did you really save money? Right. And then not even to factor in the time component. Now you might, let's say you're one of those guys that's pulling for Amazon who holds you to a whole different standard. Any of the guys who pull for Amazon know what I'm talking about because they, they have a score. And so like uh, interruptibility and like timeliness of the del delivery, all of those things count against you. And so now you've blown a tire and you're in a position where you can't limp. Now you got to wait for road service, which is generally in our area, at least two, two hours and 20 minutes. We're getting it done usually in an hour or less, which is another differentiator for us. So now you've just killed two and a half hours, roughly. You just spent way more money. You're still going to have to get the airlines in that mud flap fixed at some point, right? right. Or risk getting a, a violation from DOT. And it's just 
a domino effect. And so I tell guys, like, the recap is cool for sure for certain situations. Um, but, you know, I just want them to understand all of the implications that go into it. Like, they definitely have a higher propensity for blowing than if you just bought a new tire or a used virgin tire that hasn't been recapped. Got you. Do you uh, recommend like the super singles or do you represent, rep, rep, recommend the doubles? Like what do you guys recommend? It depends again what you're looking for. So some guys, right, that are looking for that, the ultimate balance of a load, like that pull like fuel, right? Um, and they're looking for the best fuel efficiency. The super singles claim um, that option definitely fits that solution. Um, the duels, of course, is on a lot of vehicles. I don't necessarily have a preference. I just, again, educate people on what they can expect. So if you got that super single and you rolling down the road and all of my guys know this, there is no limping. Right. When done. that blows, <laughs> you blow it's roll call. And for majority of the tire uh, stores in the industry, that's like alarm bells. It's like <laughs> pull that money trigger. It's, it's gone. He, right. he finished. Right. So it's a more expensive tire anyway. Just how it is. Then they know you can't limp. They know you on a time crunch. It's like, oh, yeah, Romeo, it's going to be $1,000 to come out there for you. And you're like, yo, I'm only 15 <laughs> minutes away. It's like, you want me to come or not? Yeah. And so that's a, a disadvantage that people just need to be aware of, right? With the duels. Obviously, it enables you where you can limp. But for some people, they look at it like, well, I only got about four tires. If I get the super singles, I buy eight tires. But I promise you, the math is about the same, though. Got you. And it, like if Apple, Apple comparison, like if you look at buying four import super singles or you look at buying eight super single um, imports, I mean, eight duels for uh, imports, it's going to be about the same math. Gotcha. Vice versa. If you're looking at premium super singles, four, and you're looking at eight premium uh, drives, it's going to be about the same. Okay. So okay. it's not necessarily really a cost benefit either way. It just comes down to what each option provides. Um, and really, you know, from my education from the manufacturers, this isn't Camard or GTT's endorsement, but usually you're going to get a more level, more balance of um, um, weight distribution with the super singles, which obviously can help with the maintenance and the wear and tear on the truck. Um, and then obviously you should get better fuel efficiency. That's what they tell us. Got you. Got you. Yeah. What are what are some some other misconceptions out there that some of your owner operators come to you about their tires and just information that, you know, maybe you could clear up for, for people just listening that, you know, like this is information that you should know about your tires. Like, is there anything like that that you want to put out there? <sighs> Hmm. It's so many, right? It's, it's, I'm trying to like pick the best one. I would say. I'm sure you have so many different scenarios and so many people have these ticks. They think they know this. They, you know, they, because like you said, a lot of guys have been in this industry for so long and they just have all these things that they assume. But, you know, is there anything else that like your experience has told you? Nah, don't don't do that. Do this. I would say for sure. Putting yourself in a situation where you know you need the tires and for whatever reason, you just can't get past it because you think you're being sold and you put off purchasing that tire. Bad idea, because a lot of times, at least in our experience, right, when you come into us, we're literally giving you a play by play of what you can expect if you don't make this decision today while you're here. Right. And I think for us, you know, that is a part of the education piece. That's a part of the caring piece because, you know, when a tire blows, particularly let's, let's focus on the steer position, which is arguably the most important position on the truck. 
sometimes we get guys who are just really um, unwilling to change those when it's egregious things that are pointing to it needing to be changed. And I'm just always like, yo, is saving this money worth the potential of losing your life and or potentially causing somebody else to lose their life? Right. And so that would be the biggest one because that to me is bigger than like the financial implications behind it. Like there's a lot of other domino effects that um, are devastating. Got you. Now I like that. Is, is this a high margin business or is this a volume business? It's both. It just all depends on how you want to go about it. I mean, you got some tire stores, right? Their strategy is a little different than ours. And, you know, their margin is probably higher than ours, I would I would imagine, just because, you know, they're selling the tires that the exact same tires that we would sell for a lot more. <laughs> right. Are and you cheaper than most of your competitors? In a lot of areas, yes. Okay. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Got you. So you guys focus more on volume. And we do. We do. Just because, again, you know, we we're running after this thing in a frame of mind, understanding that for us, it's about impact, meaning the more owner operators that we can bring into our ecosystem, the more more owner operators we can bring value to. Right. And so for us, like that's a big mission of ours beyond just the money. And then if you are a volume play like us, the more that you're dealing with, the better you are going to do. Um, but I, I would comfortably let you know this, like our margins are right around 50 percent, though. Gotcha. So nice. OK, for cool. again, a brick and mortar operation. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. How, how many repeat customers would you say you guys had if you if do you, do you know? How I can many? give you a percentage. Yeah. How many? 90 percent. 98? 90. 90 percent. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Again, do, I told do, you. Do you know with how that com- how is that with, like how that compares to your competitors by any I, chance? I can tell you this. A lot of the companies and owner operators that have traditionally gone to a lot of these other places prior to our existence are now customers of ours. So nice. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. I love that. I love yeah. that. They try to they try to take you out of the game, but it ain't working. No, man, it's too late. It's too late, you know. <laughs> tell, tell me about growth, man. I mean, obviously, you guys have grown tremendously in the last couple of years. How are you looking to scale uh, GTT? What, what's like on the roadmap for you the next couple of years? Yeah, so definitely opening more um, store company owned stores. Uh, we recently just opened another location uh, January 10th of this year uh, in Petersburg. And then uh, we're breaking ground on a building that we're building, obviously, from the ground up um, next month, April. Um, that's going to be in the 757 area down there with Lady Lockley. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're excited about that. You know, I mean, just to kind of put that in perspective really quickly, again, to be two young black brothers from the hood, um, to think about building anything from the ground up, let alone a commercial dwelling, is uh, no short feat. So I definitely want to just like, pay my respects to that because that's huge for just us. If we do nothing else, it's like, man, we did something that for two guys coming from the circumstances that we came from, like that's pretty monumental for us personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, super happy about that. Opening up a few more stores and some locations that we, we're looking at um, and getting it to the point, like I said, where, you know, we're consistently doing these eight figures and not necessarily for the money, but obviously that is a component of it. But again, as I mentioned, the more stores – the more service that we can provide to the more owner operators that come into our ecosystem. And that means the more value that we can bring to uh, industry and specifically uh, um, a participant in an industry that is under-recognized and in a lot of cases an afterthought. And I feel like that's why we are the owner operators tire store, man. Like when you come Mm -hmm. here, this store is for you. Everything that we've concocted, is for the bring value to the owner operator, particularly. I don't care if you have one truck or you got a hundred trucks. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, and I think 
I don't think I know guys feel that. Like literally, man, I can show you some personal text messages that I get DMs and private messages on Facebook that I get from people that are in our ecosystem. We met through this. This was the conduit. But now personal relationships have been forged because they really value the value that we value them. And it's like amazing. Right. Amazing. That's awesome. Would you ever do like a franchise model? <laughs> this dude is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wild. Um, so my brother and I are exploring that for okay. sure. I, I'm, I've not said that outwardly on camera before. And obviously we didn't talk right, about right, that right. on no, camera. That's why it. I'm like, this dude is crazy. You tapped in, boy, that energy is real. But yeah, so uh, we we are exploring the first commercial truck tire franchise opportunity because we do really feel like our business model is definitely different than the status quo in a way that can penetrate multiple markets, not just here in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. Yes. Got you. So, how, how much, breaking news. Yeah, no, nah, I love that, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I was able to extract that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so in, in terms of, you know, communication and stuff with your customers, I'm just trying to imagine how you guys do that. You guys like use CRM systems and all that. Like, Finally. It's kind of like yeah. a real sophisticated type of operation, huh? We, we've stepped into the digital age and the informational age with all of this technology and um, softwares. Yeah, yeah. Up until this year, honestly, no, we, we had a little bit. But now, like we've really, like we brought some people onto the team where okay. that's really like their area of spec, uh, area of uh, specialty, yeah. and so they've really helped us really carve out a plan around how to introduce those things without causing disruption, right? Because anytime you bring in something new, especially with software or phone systems, like there's a big chance that you could have disruption that, in certain cases, may not be in a position where you can overcome it. What do you mean by that? Expand on that. Yeah, man. So, you know, for example, like we changed phone companies um, and literally we had four days go by where we were not getting phone calls. Oh, wow. And that's terrible. I mean, the life and death of our business is phone calls, right? People calling, yo, are you open? People calling, I got this sitting there where you, people calling, do you got this tire? And so we missed four days of calls. Um, so, yeah, that can be we, we can. I don't know who called in those four days. We can never get that back. <laughs> right. You know, so, yeah, I'm sure there was a significant amount of lost revenue. So just small examples like that to even implementing certain softwares like a CRM and then your, your team getting acclimated with it. Right. So like the operation is totally different today than what it was when me and my brother were running around here like a two man game, you know, pick and pop. Like now we got. I don't know, almost 20 people uh, just at this one location. And so you got a bunch of different uh, personalities, a bunch of different skill sets, a bunch of different experiences. And so some people take more to technology than others. Some people, it's a a learning curve. And so just really being able to nurture an environment where we could get everybody up to speed in a, a timely fashion and not lose productivity because people are overthinking the process like it's, it's small little cogs in the system like that that I don't think certain times people really factor into when you're implementing new things. Because being the CVO, being the CEO, being the owner, right, like you're always just driving things down your team's throat all the time. Yeah, this is what I want done. Y'all figure out how to do it. Right. And it's like, have you thought about how that potentially can affect the scenario as well, though? Right. And so I would, I, would, I would probably say that we have a really great environment where we do really overemphasize training and development because I think in, in business, um, a lot of CEOs, a lot of small business owners, right? There's never really been any formal training of how to do this, right? Like, especially if you're coming out of an environment where 
you don't even know nobody that's in business, right? If you are rewinding your life, my life, and what you saw at that time, right, as ways out. So for us, it's like putting people in position that we feel will be natural for what their personality and their skill sets are, and then investing in them in terms of different trainings, whether that's stuff by us or that's sending them to the Michelin Academy, right? Or whether that's sending them to a customer service um, um, expo and things like that. Um, And then building that camaraderie through outside activity as well. Like I, I can personally see the benefit of the team having the same interaction with me when I am present that they have with their managers. And it's like, oh, yeah, Kamar and Rashad, like they down to earth guys, like they not just sitting up top and it's like, oh, you know, very kind of standoffish because you do have certain environments like that. And so I think the same type of strategies that we've deployed in, our, in terms of making our customers feel comfortable and, and prioritize, I think doing that with our team has enabled to where we have such a harmonious environment and ecosystem that, you know, we're able to make different implementations and still get great productivity out of it quicker than maybe some other scenario. Mm, I like that. Who's your favorite entrepreneur? I'd say Gary Vaynerchuk only because I'll put it this way, not in no particular order, but he's definitely one. I've had the pleasure of meeting him in person and literally what you see off cam- on camera is how he is oh, off yeah, camera. Right. Like he's a real grounded dude. And that's saying a lot with as much of a platform as what he has and just decisions that he's made that obviously has amassed him a great deal of, of uh, wealth and riches. Um, Dan Fleischman, um, okay. very thoughtful dude, um, very accomplished and not even 40 yet. Like, dude is really like innovative in his thinking. Um, the Alex Mosey guy is doing some great things. Um and then I put my brother in there, man, you know. Okay. And then maybe one more would be, uh, yeah, that would probably be it. Th- those are interesting answers because those guys are kind of like, in like more so like social media, like marketing spaces. I, I, the reason why I asked that question is because you're so uh, kind of keen, like, like, like systems is really big to you, yeah. processes. Yeah. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, who are you mirroring and who are you modeling when you think about these things? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, this is stuff that you kind of had to learn on your own in a way, but you had to kind of look to look to somebody like somebody had to inspire you to have this kind of mindset. And that's why I, why I asked that. So I'll put it to you like this. From a system standpoint and a process standpoint, like, again, I've, I've had the pleasure of being at VaynerMedia um, headquarters in New York. Like, I'm telling you, bro, it's a well-oiled machine. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot of people have discovered him on um, the Internet. And that's why I mentioned him, because, like, kind of how we were talking off camera, like, he's one of the people who actually has a real business outside of, like, the social media. Right. right and so, right. I mean, just even thinking about his, his, his path, like, he and his brother worked together. That's right? true. With, so with the wine, like thing, yeah. Right? So like, well, that was with him and his father. Right. But him and his brother is really VaynerMedia. VaynerMedia. Yeah. Correct, they started correct. the ad agency. Correct. So like, obviously, that was something that I could relate to. I'm, I'm working with you my resonate brother. with that. Yeah. yeah. So um, seeing his operation, it's definitely impressive. Um, but yeah, for me, why were you there? Uh, you know, man, I'm I'm out just here right now, shaking. just trying to you soak here? up and see you, what's you going on here. here. Yeah, man, I'm man, I'm really on a path. Got little side meetings with Gary V. What are we <laughs> talking about, man? I'm on a path of greatness, man. I really believe that. And so, I'm in a point of my life where I'm optimizing learning over earning and skills over bills. 
Right. That's so what? Bar. What that means for me <laughs> is get. You did say you was a rapper back in I the day, right? I used to be, man. You know, I've I've tried a few things. Okay. 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 But really, what that means for me is putting myself in the presence of some guys and gals who are who either have done or are doing some things that I want to do in my own way, right? And so building a, a monstrosity of a business, like I'm, I'm really like. Being a, a, a basketball, former basketball player, just high school, right? Middle school, high school. Like, obviously, I'm competitive, right? I, I was one of those guys, like, literally, I don't even want you playing on this team unless you're going to give it everything. Yeah. Like, legit. Yeah. And this is just high school and, and little league ball, but I always I had that mindset. That's how I am, like, even in business. And so I, a lot of things about my personal upbringing, I can see how it manifests in business for me. And so right now, it's like, my brother and I have done substantially well in our own right to be where we are, but I'm nowhere near done. And I know the same goes for him. And so, you know, this has been a huge opportunity for us, this being GTT Commercial Tires, where we've been able to have a, a three-man weave is what I call it. I know for sure that the people who work with us that are really on the front lines, that are now really driving the customer experience and all of the day-to-day activities, they feel valued, they feel respected. Right. That's big for us, because at the end of the day, I think people in business, CEOs, whatever term you want to give it. Right. Even if you're just a hiring manager. Right. Within somebody else's organization, you really need to value the fact that people are investing in you. Meaning if somebody signs up to come and work with your company, that means they're giving you the most important thing that they have, which is their time. And so we value that again, the way we were brought up, we take care of the people who take care of us. The second piece to the three-man weave, the customers. Usually, most business arrangements are one-sided. Let's just be real about it, meaning that the business wins. Usually, not the, the, the end user, not the consumer. Like They might feel like they won in the minute, the moment, right, from an emotional standpoint of they got what they wanted, right? But did you get the best deal on it, right? Did you get the best treatment while you were being given this thing or sold this thing, right? And then the third piece is the actual impact um, that this business has had on my brother and I, and personally speaking, you know, I feel like the on the job training that you spoke about being an executive and and just kind of shaping the business in terms of what it is that our targets and aspirations are. I have not had any one specific scenario that I've seen where I felt like I specifically extracted anything from that and then brought it into our world and created it to be what it is for us. But what I can say is, I am so grateful for what I know that it is doing to me and for me. So, you know, like my biggest mission is to be the world's greatest father, which I'm not a father yet. Right. But I just feel like a lot of these lessons, a lot of the decisions that I'm having to make and what is bringing out of me from a critical thinking aspect, from a strategy driven, solution driven aspect, um, you know, being a better brother, being a better son, being a better husband. Like I can point to specific scenarios where as a result of everything that I'm now still a novice at, I know for sure it has bigger impacts than just the business side of it. And that's what keeps me running after it and being excited about being a novice, you know, um, because for somebody like myself, who a lot of things have come so natural to and, and I've not necessarily had to exert the efforts that somebody else had, like even in school, getting good grades, you know, I'll never forget, you know, um, I had a classmate, he's from the Middle East. 
And like his parents were, you already know, like strict on him about grades. Like, yo, anything less than an A, you might not even be able to live here. And I'm like, what the hell? That's, <laughs> right. I get it, but dang, that's harsh, right? You know, like my mom was strict on me too, but it wasn't never like the threat of being put out, <laughs> outcast, right? Shunned. Right. But I'm it's like, all right. Letter. <laughs> and me and him would have conversations and he would always be upset. And I'm like, yo, you got a A, like, why are you upset? And he's like, yeah, you got a B plus and you didn't study. And I'm like, bro. We got two different paths we walking, man. Like, you did well. He's like, yeah, but if my parents knew that, then I'm like, yo, you're going too deep with this, man. Like, take the win. And so just seeing scenarios like that, it put me in a position where it's like, I know that when things come easily to one, you can really use it as a crutch and it can really be more of a hindrance to you than a benefit because it creates an environment where it manufactures you not to put as not to put forth as much effort and work. Mm. And as you age, as you get into real games like business, business is a big game. I don't care what industry you're in. It's a big game. Right. And unlike sports, there is no expiration time on it. Like you can't be like, yeah, you know, like when Allen Iverson got Michael Jordan, he was kind of on the tail end. Right. And that's not to take anything away from Allen's greatness because he is obviously one of the all time greats. Right. But they weren't at the same pace in, in their respective careers, right, when they faced each other. Whereas in business, you can play this forever. Facts. And so you got some guys that's been doing business forever. And so when you think about what type of arena that is that you're stepping into, you got to understand that you got to put the work in. You got to really stack those skills over bills. You got to <laughs> optimize learning over earning because if you do that, the cash flow It'll it'll be like a a stream and it'll come effortlessly. No doubt, no doubt. I like that. So you still ain't telling me why you was going to meet Gary V. Yeah. So you know, look, <laughs> no. Um, in all honesty, right? So looking at potentially doing some work with them yeah. uh, or having them do some work for us um, some media, in the marketing side of marketing things. Again, side. like okay. I said, okay. to get to where we've gotten and not to have done anything marketing related, it's crazy. It's like exciting to me because I know with the right campaign and strategy and then the execution upon that. This fuel on a fire that's already burning pretty high. Right. And so I just think at that point, you know, it really helps propel a lot of the other things that's in alignment with the strategies in terms of the scale and growth plan that we have. Yeah. So most people go like to Fiverr and he just went straight to Gary V. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my man went straight to the top, man. I love that. I love that. That's dope, man. That's dope. All right, man. Well, listen, we, we've been rocking for a minute. We're going to start wrapping it up. Um, in true truck and hustle fashion, we always got to let you have your la your final thought, which is basically something, you know, spiritual, entrepreneurial, whatever you want to kind of leave the audience with. But you've been dropping final thoughts all, all show. So I don't know how you're going to top that. But um, and then lastly, we got to let everybody know how they connect with you, man. So um, let's go get with the final thought, man. What do you want to leave the audience with? Final thought. Um, I would say this. Definitely understand that being yourself is a work in process. Like, it takes practice to be you. Legit. And I don't think that people really understand what that means. So I'll give you a quick tidbit on it. Like, yeah. you don't know who you are. Because so much of our life, whether it be our parents, whether it be teachers, whether it be managers, whether it be girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. So much of our life is just the culmination of other people's values, views, and experiences. And so I think that you really got to get to a point where you can find a some type of... Um, strategy, some type of environment where you can really start to spend some time thinking to yourself about yourself, right? And in addition to that, I'd say uh, from a business perspective, just stay curious, you know, and if you're not curious, get curious. 
meaning try things because that's the only way that you're going to find out what really fits. You know, I told you off camera, man, I know for sure I'm not a physical guy when it comes to uh, professional experiences due to the fact that I worked at uh, UPS for a week and one day. Yeah. Training was great. And then when we got into the actual truck and we're, well, the trailer and we're loading it, I knew it wasn't for me. You got boxes this size that weigh more than me that I'm picking up with a guy yelling behind my back trying to get me to hurry up. And I'm like, this isn't it. <laughs> right. um, and it was freezing cold in there. So I just would say, stay curious, get curious, try things um, and find yourself at a point where you are prioritizing the process and the experiences over the outcomes and the results. Because I think at that point you become unemotional about what happens, which then really puts you in a position to uh, really extract all of the good and the benefit that you probably may be overlooking. No doubt, no doubt. And so. then uh, you can follow me if you so choose. Everything is Kamar Johnson, K-A-M-A-R-D-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. That's Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, everything, everything. No the doubt. website, KamarJohnson.com. Okay. Whatever I can do to be of service of value to anybody that's a part of the Truck and Hustle community and family, um, I extend that courtesy to any and everybody, man. I appreciate you and so grateful for the opportunity, brother. No doubt. We we are definitely family family now, for sure. You part of the Hustle fam. This was a dope experience. I got to meet your family. Salute to your brother as well. Your wife, everybody's here in the building. Um, this has been dope, man. Just getting an opportunity to learn more about you, learn more about this, this massive business that you guys have built um, from, you know, uh, seven, you know, a little shed, seven tires to now, you know, what you do, five million or something like that last five year? Five million last year, yes, Five sir. million last year and growing, about to get a new spot. Bro, congratulations on all the success. This is crazy, man. I love it. I love it. And like I say, y'all, the riches are in the niches, man. Find yourself a niche and get rich. So, you know, what we like to do around this time, Hustle Fam, if you smell something burning, it's only your desire. <laughs> Myself, Kamard, GTT, we out. Yes, sir. If you twisted, confused, or stuck about trucks, don't be dumb. This is the place to come. Truck and hustle. Let's go.